Aloha, and welcome to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. Today, Pastor Ralph continues with a message entitled, How Real Is Your Faith? We're in Genesis chapter 19. And now, here's Pastor Ralph. I want to I pick up some other scripture and show you something. Keep your finger in your Bible here in uh, Genesis and turn to Ezekiel chapter 16, if you would. Now, I know a lot of you didn't read Ezekiel this morning when you got up. And we'll read it together. Ezekiel 16, verse 49. It talks about Sodom. And it says, Sodom's sins were pride, laziness, and gluttony. While the poor and needy suffered outside her door, she was proud and did loathsome things, so I wiped her out, as you have seen. And then goes on, because he's actually chewing out somebody else in the other verses. But notice, here's Sodom. It's prideful, very prosperous, wealthy, rich region, and they got prideful. And then they got lazy. Everybody was, was kind of on cruise mode, trying to you know, get the most that they could out of doing the least amount. They got into gluttony. And then they didn't care about the poor people and the needy people in their midst. And, and then it says she was proud and did loathsome things, which probably means sexual immorality, both versions, heterosexual and homosexual. So... When we go back to talking about Sodom, the one thing that I want to say here is uh, don't, don't let's all do, be like so many Christians, let's just all pick on the gay people kind of a deal. Because you understand that immorality goes both ways. God is into a, a man and a woman being married to each other, and he'll bless that. He calls everything else adultery and fornication and words like that. And sometimes what I find is Christians, you know, they want to play the, the homosexual card because it gets the pressure off of me to just throw the rock at those guys. Am I making sense when I say that? We're all sinners. We've all come short of the glory of God. We all need God's mercy, and we all need God's presence in our life. And when His mercy and His presence come in our life, He tends to change us and transform us. And that's what this is all about here. This is not about joining the spiritual be good club. This is about God loves you. And if you will respond to him in trust, he'll start to gently change some things in your life. And you don't even have to worry about it. You just worry about loving the Lord. Am I getting there? Well, God's concerned about the relatives here. God comes to these guys and says, don't you, don't you have any other people here uh, that, that you care about? Go tell them. Go warn them because we're going to bust this place. It's about all over. And they go out there and they tell the others. And it says that they thought they were, that they were only joking. And I, I think this only joking thing is, is a little deeper than it looks on the surface. I, I don't think it's just that they didn't understand what he said or whatever. I think they were in the habit of blowing off spiritual reality. There's another scripture that I want to give you, and we won't turn to it, but I think I got it on the screen. It's Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32. and It, it starts out by, by talking. If you could read it in Greek, it's really actually a joke. The Apostle Paul says, he's, he's talking about people who knew there was a God but refused to believe him. And he goes on and he says, it's like they took the truth of God's existence and they put it in a little box and they set on the lid so nobody else would be able to, to find God. And, and professing to be, be wise, they became fools and they made up great huge arguments against the logical uh, revelation of the existence of God in nature. Now, did, you, did you look around you, you look at how complicated DNA is? And then you say, oh, there's no mind behind this. There's no design behind this. This is all just random. You know, my friend Corey Grinder is in Japan, and he, he's, uh, he's uh, talking to, there's a guy coming to his church who's not a Christian who's into to chaos theory. 
that everything that exists is absolutely the product of chaos. Chaotic random chance. Not just random chance, chaotic random chance. Everything is just a freaked out mess and you just all happen to, you know, the molecules self-arranged and you're sitting here. And, um, and, and the kid's, the guy's kid runs wild. The guy's kid is headed for jail. And my friend Corey, his little kid's, are, are, are walking with the Lord. His little kids are being raised according to the principles in this book. And this man is sitting there going all this kind of tearing his hair out about his kids and boy, I wish my kids were like your kids. And, and Corey says, hey, it's the, the roots are in what you believe. I believe that there's a God who's a God of order, who's laid out a way to do things and I'm living that way and look at the kids. You believe in chaos and look at the kids. <laughs> See? And so what Paul says in Romans is, these idiots, they went out and they didn't want God ruling over them, so they made up a bunch of junk so that they could do away with the idea of God so that God wouldn't rule over them so they could do whatever they wanted to. And then he goes on for the next, you know, gets off into all of the next few verses up to about verse 18 of, of Romans 1, and it talks about people who are first bent on pleasure, and that's why they don't want God. They don't want Him fooling around with their sexuality. And then they get tired of their sexuality, and they get into violence, and they get into re rebellion against authority, and they get into a society that just spirals in on itself. But it all starts from making a joke out of God. It all starts from blowing off God and saying, ah, doesn't matter. You believe that stuff? And so when Lot comes along and says, there's these dudes at my house, and they made these guys blind that tried to get in, they were going to tear the house down, and all of a sudden they're blind wandering home, and they say they're going to destroy the city. you got to be joking. And they seal their death warrant. It's over for them. It's just over. You, know, you, you laugh off God. You laugh off any hope. Well, you lose. You seal your doom. What comes, comes. you got nobody to, to call out to, nobody to help you. And so God's reaching out through Lot to Lot's relatives. He's reaching out through you to your relatives and your friends. And the message here is kind of keep on keeping on. Uh, but it also kind of lays it out what happens to people who, who turn their back on God. Look at verse 16, and we talk about being caught between two worlds, because Lot certainly was. It says, when Lot hesitated, because they're trying to get him out of town and protect him because the town's going to blow up. When Lot still hesitated, the angel seized his hands and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city. They grabbed him by hand, pulled him out, for the Lord was merciful. Run for your lives, the angels warned. Do not stop anywhere in the valley and don't look back. Escape to the mountains or you will die. Oh no, my lords, please, Lot begged. You've been so kind to me and saved my life and you've granted me such mercy, but I can't go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there and I would soon die. See, there's a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? It's kind of like he's saying, well, it's not as bad as this place. It's a small town. Big towns are bad, you know. Then my life will be saved. Now when he says my life will be saved, what he says is my ego will be saved. My pleasure center will be saved. I don't want to go up there in the mountains wherever you're trying to do whatever your thing is. I want to stay down here. I'm a sophisticated urban person here. And I want to stay down here where life is cool. And in verse 21 says, All right, the angel said, I will grant your request. Now notice, I will not destroy that little village. Why would the angel have come to destroy that little village? Because there's a whole bunch of really good righteous people living there? No, because it's just about as bad as Sodom. And Lot's negotiating and saying, I just want to do the halfway Christian thing here. I, I, I don't want to go where you want me to go. Uh, this place isn't too bad. Let me go over there in the not too bad place. The sort of bad, not too bad place. See, and, I, and, and, and what I wonder is how many of us are kind of like that? God's trying to 
you know, get you to the heights. You come here and you worship. Good night. Isn't this wonderful what's been going on in worship here? And something happens inside of you and your spirit soars. And you have a sense of the reality of what God would like to do in your life if you fully let go. And then you go, well, yeah, but I, I, it, it costs too much. I'm hanging on to whatever else is out there. Lot is, 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 is trying to, 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 to hang on to the world in one hand and God in the other hand, and it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. There's a scripture over in First uh, John chapter 2, is verses 15 to 17, and it says, Don't love the world, neither the things in the world, because the world's passing away. The city's going to be gone someday. Get on the heights with God and, and, and let God do whatever it is that God's trying to do in your life. And, and I just have to question the, the decisions you make, the choices that you make. You know, I talk to parents, and, 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 and sometimes it's like they've got to have their kid in every single thing the, of sports, this, of that, of the other thing. And then you talk to them about, well, yeah, but is your kid in, 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 in a mini church? Is your kid coming to youth group? Oh, my kid's so busy, they don't have time for that. And then they say, Oh, Pastor Ralph, I just wish that five years ago when you told me I should, I, should, I should ensure. And you know what ensure means? I should require my kid to go to the thing and act like a parent and let them act like a kid and call some priorities out in my child's life that would ensure that my child grew up really knowing God. And they said that you, you wanted me to ensure that my kid got to youth group, and they didn't. And now I've lost them. I've totally lost them, and they're hurting really bad. And you know what? I can't do one thing about the child. I can offer comfort to the parent. I can do nothing about the child. Am I making sense? See, but that's making decisions about our kids. What about when we're making decisions about us? I read some magazine today. It says how, how having good quality friends in your life that are committed to you will extend your life by five to eight years or some deal like that. You, you, you will have a tendency not to have strokes and heart attacks and stuff like that because there's people that hold you accountable and are a support group to you. You go to mini church? Oh no, I'm too busy making money. I mean, you know, I try to not be a preachy preacher, <laughs> but tonight I just can't resist. Because <laughs> this is this is where the rubber hits the road, huh? Is that God has stuff? He makes offers to us. He'll bless us. He'll this. He'll that. And 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 we say, oh, let me just stay down here in this little small town. I don't want to go up there in the mountain with you. Cost me something. I don't think I can make it. Just let me say, they're not too bad, this thing here. You know, that gets down to the kind of films that you see, the kind of books that you read, the kind of people that you hang out with. Her story in a book. I won't even tell you, it's too stupid. The guy said, let's go on. You want me to? Yes. <laughs> the guy comes to this counselor and he says, Oh, whenever I look at pornographic magazines, I pray that the Lord will protect my heart and my mind. <laughs> what was that scripture? Be hot or cold, otherwise I want to puke you out of my mouth. I, I mean, get serious. Get serious. I know you all came to church tonight just so I could beat you up. <laughs> well, look at here. It says justice is final. Justice is final. Take a look at this. This is what happens here. It says in verse 24, The Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur 
from the heavens on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them, along with the other cities and villages of the plain, eliminating all life, people, plants, animals alike. But Lot's wife looked back as she was following along behind, and she became like a pillar of salt. She looked back. You know, in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 21, Jesus is talking and he says that uh, where your treasure is is where your heart is. She wasn't looking back to see the fireworks. She was looking back because she couldn't let go. She was hung up in the dirt that was back there and she couldn't let go of it. And it says she turned into a pillar of salt. That doesn't mean God went, okay, bzzz. What that means is she got busted with whatever was coming out of the heavens. I gave you a couple of uh, web links in the notes tonight. And if you get to the long notes, you know, we put the long notes on our website so you can get a little deeper into this. They're there too. Archaeologists, even the ones, because I went and looked at a bunch of websites, even the ones who, who go, well, yeah, this event, Sodom and Gomorrah, really happened, but that doesn't mean you can believe the Bible. Uh, that Bible part's just a myth, but the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is real. And they get off into the whole thing and they say that what happened there, and they found the places, it's either under the Dead Sea or it's right adjacent to the Dead Sea on a peninsula, is that there's, there's millions of little sulfur balls that came out of the sky and fell all over this place. And that means that a mountain blew its top someplace, much like Mount St. Helens did before. And there's this other stuff that's there that, that actually the Hebrew word got translated into Greek and the Greek word got translated into English and we get our word asphalt from the bitumen or the, the, the whatever the tarry surface is that it runs rampant through these things. And they say uh, a, a, an outrageous uh, fire uh, was started in the asphalty stuff as a result of the volcano that came and it destroyed five cities in the area. And exactly what Genesis says, there were five cities in the plain that had been such places of luxury and, and the destruction was complete, and it was final. Nobody survived this whole thing except Lot and his two daughters. Remember, Abraham argued it down to ten. There's ten righteous people. Well, on the way, it's Lot, his wife, and his two daughters. And his wife somehow turns back and stays there, apparently halfway there. And she gets covered with what's ever there. Did you ever go to the, in, 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 outside of Volcano on the Big Island, there's that Ohia forest that the lava came around. And, and wrapped itself up around the ohia trees and then kept going. And so there's like these little cylinders here because there was a tree in there and it took a while for the tree to burn and the lava got to cool. And so there's these cylinders of lava. Well, when you picture one of those babies, then you're thinking about Lot's wife. It's not like God goes, huh, make her into a pillar of salt. It's that whatever happened, she got covered with the ash and then she melted and there was something left behind. Well, it goes on and says, the next morning, Abraham was up early and hurried out to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. And this isn't Abraham, this is our lot, this is now Abraham. And it says he looked out across the plain to Sodom and Gomorrah, and he saw columns of smoke and fumes as from a furnace rising from the cities there. But God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. Afterward, Lot left Zor, the small town he went to, because he was afraid of the people there, because they were bad dudes. And he went to live in the cave in the mountains with his two daughters. And the story goes on and tells actually the tragic ending of Lot's life. But I, I want to give you another scripture to put up there where all the fire and smoke and all that stuff is. And uh, it's Luke chapter 17, verse 20. And it's Jesus talking. And he says, in the last days when judgment comes, remember the book of Revelation we studied through and, and all the prophecies about 
the, the end of the world. And he says when it all comes, it's going to be exactly like Sodom and Gomorrah. And he uses the same words that are used there in the Old Testament. And, and he says it's all going to burn. And so it kind of leaves us with the, some, somewhat the same kind of a position that Lot and his wife were in. Is, is God's trying to rescue you from something that's going to immolate. It's going, whether you like it or not. And the choice that you have is to go, and, and, and I'm going to use this term, and, and it's, I'm speaking very figuratively, live on the mountain with the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean that you go live in a monastery or you live some Fruit Loop Christian life. It just means that you live above the whatever the heck is going on in the world around you. You live a life in God's grace and His peace, and you make the calls. And that you don't be trying to compromise and live in the not-too-bad-a-city over here, but that you're willing to say, I want to play it straight. Lord, I, I'm going to put you first in the choices that I make. I'm going to put you first in the use of my time. I'm going to put you first in the way that I entertain myself. I'm going to put you first in that I want to reach out to my friends and relatives and rescue them from the burning. Is that you, you count for something and you really count. I'm not going to live a pretend Christian life and, and be a Christian every Friday night. It's a 24-7 deal with me. I'm willing to, to, to really stand for whatever it is that I stand for. And, 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 and the point is this, that if you don't, what alternative do you have? It's what that scripture was about in First John chapter 2, to embrace the world. But the world will soon pass away. We probably will live to see the event that the book of Revelation talks about. And when you look at all the signs and stuff, and I don't think it's next week. You know, I used to, when I was in California pastoring, all these pastors were always trying to pick the day that Jesus was coming back. And, you know, Jesus said nobody, including him, knows that the Father only knows that. So if, if, if they got the day right, I assume God would change the day just to put them out. <laughs> but that's nonsense. There was one guy, this guy had, I mean, huge respect. Good reasons to respect him. He predicted that in September 1978, the Lord was coming back. But guess what? He didn't. But the Bible has this little thing. It says when you see the budding of the fig tree, and the fig tree is, is a symbol for Israel. You know, in 2,000 years, there's no Israel. And in 1948, when I was three years old, suddenly the fig tree budded. There's an Israel again. They achieved statehood in 1948. When you, and the Bible says when you see that happen, the generation that sees that won't pass away until the Lord comes back. Now you look in the Bible and you can see a generation, in some cases, as short as 16 years. Well, that came and went. There's other places 20 years will do a generation. That came and went. There's other places 40 years would be a generation. That came and went. 1988 would be 40 years after 1948. The furthest stretch you can see to a generation in the Bible is where in, in Genesis 12 where God says, this is going to happen to your people for four generations. And then it says for 400 years. So make it 100 years. So the year 2048, which is 46 years from now, would if I'm right, would say that this is all coming to a head sometime between now and then. And Jesus says it'll be exactly like Sodom and Gomorrah. So whatever the heck it is that we're trying to hang on to is going to fry. It's going to go up in a puff of smoke. So why hang on to it? I mean, why be Lot's wife? Because you don't get anything out of it. Does that make sense? And so the choice to really stand up and be counted and, and, and sincerely serve the Lord is a very real one, and it's a very profitable one if you come down on the right side. If you come down on the wrong side, you lose. Pretty simple. Do you feel harangued? 
I want you to. I mean, I want you to feel confronted by the scripture. I want you to feel, oh my gosh, I, got, I can't take this lightly. I got to take this serious. I got to, I got to be real here. I can't be petty about stuff in my life anymore. I got to get on the plane I'm supposed to be and see where God wants to take me. Well, let's close this thing with prayer, and we'll be on our way out of here. Lord, we come to you tonight, and we thank you for talking to us through your book. Lord, we know that you caused this book to be written. There's thousands of people, millions of people that served you. But we have the the life stories of of the few that you chose that would be a roadmap for us to spirituality. And we thank you for it. And Lord, tonight we embrace the words that we read. We we see the example. You gave us a, a, a bad example so that we could make good choices. We see the example of Lot who slip slid around and was a compromiser and and had a hard time even getting spared from judgment because he wasn't sure he wanted to go. And, and Lord, we see his wife even dumber. And Lord, we get the, the feeling here that you're trying to point us to, to what's right and what works and what will pay off in our lives. So God, we commit ourselves to you. Commit ourselves to just all over to say, I, I want to walk in integrity with you, God. There's a lot that's wrong in my life. I know I'm a sinner. I have no business ever throwing rocks at anybody else and looking down on their life or their lifestyle because there's plenty that's wrong in my life. I just want your mercy and your grace inside of me. But Lord, what I, what I want to say tonight is I want to I walk for real with you. I want to walk in seriousness with you. I want to walk... And integrity with you. God, I want to take you up on your offer to rescue me from the junk around me. And Lord, I know I can't do it myself. I know you're not asking me to sign a card to say I'll be good. What I'm trying to do is just come walk with you so that I can be whole. I keep your eyes closed a little bit longer. I, I, I always like to make an event out of people kind of doing a first time thing and praying, God, I need you, and I'm saying so right now. And so we're going to pray again that just, if, if you're a person that you know that you're far from God and that you need to step over a line and say, God, I want to walk with you, I want to be on your side, then I want to pray with you, and I, I'm going to do what I just did. I'm going to lead a prayer by praying out loud, and I want you to follow by praying silently inside your brain my words. God will hear you, and He will change you. I promise you, He will change you. If you want to pray with me, uh, we're going to pray in about a minute, a minute and a half. But if you're going to pray with me, I want you to tell me we're praying together. A prayer that's very simple. It just says, God, I need you in my life. I want you to tell me we're praying together by looking at me. Everybody else got their eyes closed. So that's why I got them all with their eyes closed. So you could look up. You look at me. I see you looking at me. And you and you. Very good. And you. Good. Okay, join me in this prayer. God, uh, whatever you got that's good for me, I want it. If it's forgiveness for the wrong things I've done, well, then forgive me. God, if it's leadership and guidance in my life so that I'll do a better job than I've done in the past and and be a happier person, then, Lord, give me your leadership in my life. If it's wisdom through reading your scriptures and, and finding out about you, then I'm praying that you would lead me as I read the scriptures so that I find the wisdom that I need tailor made to my life and my situation, where I'm going. God, I I just open my heart up to you. In in some ways, I feel like a failure. 
I set out to, to live life and I kind of mess it all up here. But I understand that you're in the business of making failures into successes. You're in the business of forgiving people for dumb things they've done. I want that. And God, I, I'm pretty much at the end of my rope. I, I'm not in a position to, 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 to want to join a church and be good. What I am in a position to do is say, Lord, here's this life and I'll let you become the leader and you change it into something good. Lord, you, you turn my sorrows and my hurts and my woes and my failures and you turn them around and you make something good out of this life of mine. I give you permission. I'm cheering you on, God. I want whatever you have for me. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Word of Hope with Ralph Moore, pastor of Hope Chapel, Kaneohe. 